Hey y'all, thanks for tuning in to this week's recording of Redeemer Church of Knoxville's Sunday Sermon. We're really glad to have you with us because we know that there are a million different podcasts that you could be listening to right now. So we're thankful that you've chosen to spend some of your day with us. We hope that this recording will be an encouragement to you and that God, by his spirit, will use his word to remind you of Jesus' love. If you would like to reach out to us, we would love to hear from you. To do that, please email us at office at redeemerknoxville.org. We also want to give a quick thank you shout out to Evie Andrus and Parker Green, who you hear playing our awesome intro and outro music here each week. Lastly, if you'd like to support Redeemer and her mission to Urban and University Knoxville, please visit www.redeemerknoxville.org and look for the little give button in the top right corner. Thank you so much, and here is this week's sermon. would like to follow along with me, you can do so by turning to 1 John. We're going to be looking at uh, chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 4. You can follow along with me in your own Bible. You can follow along with me in your bulletin. You can follow along with me on your smartphone. It's also provided for you in the bulletin if you'd like to follow along. I do want to welcome you to Redeemer this morning. It's great to have you with us. Um, my name's Sean Slate, and I'm the pastor here. And we're so glad to have you with us because we know that there are a million different things that you could be doing this morning. For instance, you could be returning from Thanksgiving and just digesting all the food that you ate over the last few days. You could be at home, fingers crossed, UT versus Clemson and the Duke's mayonnaise bowl. We're all going. It's on, it's on the house. Uh, you know, we'll all go, uh, you know, or uh, you could be at home watching a Tiger King Christmas, which all of us long to see, uh, but you're not, you're here. And I do really want to thank you uh, for coming. And the reality is that there really is nothing better that you could do with your time than to worship Jesus and to consider his incarnation. And so I do want to thank you for joining us this morning. It's great to have you. Uh, Welcome to Redeemer. What is Redeemer? Well, Redeemer is a church. And what that means is that we're a community of people who are trying to learn how to love God. We're trying to learn how to love our neighbor. And fundamentally, what we believe is that Jesus is God, that he's the Messiah. And he's entered into the world to die for our sins and to reveal the love of the Father. And so every week as his people, we gather together to worship him so that we might learn to rest in the love that God has for us in Jesus. And as we rest in his love, we then become a people who delight to gather together in community. We love to go to Clemson and Tennessee football games together. We love especially to read the Bible and pray together so that we can remind one another of the great love that God has for us in Jesus. And so as we rest in his love and as we remind each other of his love, we then become a people who delight to gather together in service so that together we might reflect the love of God to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors who are here in Urban and University in Knoxville and hope Hopefully in some way it would spill out into the entire world, right? That's who we are. We're a people who are trying to learn how to love God. We're trying to learn how to love our neighbor as we rest, as we remind, and as we reflect. And so to help us do that during this Advent season, we're beginning this new series on why did God become man, right? Why did God become man? Reflections on, uh, the fir- on 1 John. And this, this is really one of the unique claims about Christianity, right? That God actually stepped into his creation. And why would he do that? Well, theologians uh, throughout history have listed off and written tons and tons of books about why Jesus would have done this. Uh, but what I want us to do is consider uh, what First John has to say. And as we look at First John, we'll begin to see that he came to give us joy, 
that he came to make a way to the Father, that he came to give us a family, that he came to give us a new story, that he came to give us love, that he came to give us life. And finally, uh, we'll see that he came to give us understanding. But this morning, what I want us to consider is this claim that Jesus came, that God became man, in order to complete our joy. To complete our joy. So with that in mind, let's look together at 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me now for the teaching? Heavenly Father, uh, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are thankful Uh, That you've not left us to ourselves to understand you, but you are a God not hidden, nor are you silent. But you are one who delights to make yourself known to us in your word, by your spirit, and ultimately in the person and work of Jesus. And so it's our prayer now that as we attend unto your word, that in your kindness you would attend unto us so that we would see lovely things of you and we might rejoice. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure many of you uh, have read the classic Christmas book, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And if so, you'll remember that the Grinch lives up in his lair, up on the mountain, looking down over uh, Whoville and looking down on all the Who's. And he's got this shrunken, dark heart that is bothered by all the decorations and by all the gifts and by all the joy and by all the singing down in Whoville. And so on Christmas Eve, he can't stand it anymore, and so he leaves his lair, he slithers down the mountain, and he steals all the gifts and all the decorations from Whoville. And then on Christmas morning, as the sun comes up, there he is, he's up on his mountain in his lair, looking out over the valley, having stolen everything from the Who's, and he's hoping that the Christmas joy won't reappear. And as he stands there on the ledge listening hoping that the songs won't come in the morning. But lo, it comes. Lo, it breaks. The glorious sound, louder and louder it grows as the music begins to rise up out of Whoville. And as the music begins to fill the valley, the bells begin to ring, the children continue to sing, and the Grinch wonders, how could this be? How could this be? How could they sing? How could they rejoice when everything had been taken away from them? And then Dr. Seuss makes this amazing little statement. He says, Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. What if Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store? What if Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more? And that's the point of this series, I hope, that we'll see that Christmas, like the SEC, means a little bit more. And, uh, and, uh, and, and of, course, of course, you know, the garland, uh, the candles, the gifts, the eggnog, we all enjoy those things. But really, at Christmas time, we enjoy those things uh, because of the one to whom they point. Right? The joy of the decorations and the parties, they really are meant to 
not just for a moment of joy, but they are meant to be reflections and foretastes of the greater joy that is ours in Jesus. And so over these next few weeks, as we fill up our calendars with parties, and over these next few weeks, as we empty our bank accounts to buy presents for one another, and as we plan service after service after service here at the church, as we put CeeLo Green's Christmas album, Magic Moment, on repeat, uh, I think it's helpful for us uh, to just kind of press pause over these next few Sundays in order to be reminded of the reason for our rejoicing. You see, as Christians, uh, we celebrate Christmas because at Christmas we are reminded that God has revealed himself to us in Jesus. And God in his kindness has revealed himself to us in Jesus in order to make our joy complete. And so this morning what I want us to consider is that God became man in order to make our joy complete. Right, so why did God become man? To make our joy complete. Right? To make our joy complete. Would you say that with me? To make our joy complete. And one of the great joys of Christmas is that God has made himself known. That in Jesus, we can actually know God. And this is really important for us to consider because this is really a massive claim that we make as Christians. We make the claim that God is there and he is not silent. The claim of Christianity is that the creator of all things, the creator of all things visible and invisible, the creator of things like you and me, the creator of geckos and ginkgos, the creator of elms and elephants, the creator of love and beauty and joy and delight, not only that, the one who existed before all these things, the one who existed before anyone could taste, touch, smell, or hear any of these things. The immortal, the invisible, the God only wise and light and accessible, hid from our eyes, most glorious, most blessed, the ancient of days. That God has made himself known to us in the person and work of Jesus. And that really is the joy of Christmas, that we can know God in Christ. I want you to look again at verse one. That which was from the beginning. So as John says, that which is from the beginning in verse 1, he's echoing his gospel that he had written in John chapter 1 when he began, in the beginning was the word and the word uh, was with God and the word was God. And that too is an echo of Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And how is it that God created the heavens and the earth? He created the heavens and the earth by the word of his power. And so what John is saying is that the God behind all things, the maker of heaven and earth, is the one who has made himself known in his creation, and he has made himself known in this creation visibly, audibly, tangibly, physically in Christ. It's a huge claim. And in the world in which we live, uh, we live in a culture that claims there's many ways uh, for us to know God. And so we make a bold claim into this culture. Uh, just think about one of the primary parables of our age, the parable of the elephant. If you know the parable of the elephant, I'm sure many of you do, there, there were these five blind men and they came across an elephant. And one of them runs into the elephant, he runs into the body of the elephant, he feels and he thinks, oh surely this must be a wall. And then another one of the blind men runs into the tusk of the elephant. He feels along, and he feels the tusk, feels a sharp point. He says, surely this must be a spear. 
Then he feels uh, the, the, the ears as they're flapping back and forth. And he says, surely this must be a fan. And then he hugs the leg of the elephant thinking, this must be uh, the stump of a tree. And then the other feels the tail of the elephant. This must be a rope. And then another feels the trunk of the elephant and thinks this must be a snake. And supposedly, the point of this parable is that no one religion has any clarity about who God is or what he's like because all the religions are essentially blind and all the religions have these different experiences and perspectives and expressions. And so each religion in its blindness is more or less a true way of experiencing the one God if he actually exists. But what's really interesting about this parable is that it's told from the perspective of someone who claims to be able to see an elephant. It's told from the perspective of someone who thinks they can see. And so what the parable is claiming, that all religions are blind attempts at knowing God. Uh, But the irony is that the only way the parable can make any sense is if someone can actually see. And by claiming that they can see, uh, they're also making a power play that we can see and no one else can. And so it assumes a position of clarity that others aren't allowed to have. Now, what Christians are claiming is that uh, all of humanity and our sin, we're actually blind. We actually live in darkness. But God in his grace has entered into the world and he's lifted the darkness. He's given sight to the blind and he's enabled us to see him in Jesus. What Christians are claiming is that God revealed himself. That, that we can't know God unless he reveals himself to us. I want you to notice the way John says this in verse 2. He says, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. And so what I want you to see here is that the revelation of God, God's self-revelation is manifest. That God makes himself known. Later on in, John chapter, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, John says, This message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. And so the, the way John wants us to understand God is that God has revealed himself. And that Jesus is the self-revelation of God. And this is really important because what this tells us is that God wants to be known. I mean, this is what I pray almost every week before our sermon. Thank you that you've not left us to ourselves. Thank you that you're not a God that is hidden or silent, but you have made yourself known to us in your word by your spirit and ultimately in the person and work of Jesus. And so what I want you to see is that God wants us to know him and he wants us to know him so that we might delight in him and so that we might have fellowship with him, right? God does not want us to believe lies about him. God doesn't want to just leave us to ourselves to make assumptions about him. He wants us to know what he is really like so that we can enjoy him and rejoice in him for who he is. And so God has revealed himself to us in Jesus. There's this really fascinating uh, passage in John chapter 14, verse 8, and the disciples, they're hanging out with Jesus. And one of the disciples named Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. And that makes me laugh. I think that's amazing. You're hanging out with Jesus and you think, 
hey, Jesus, just show us the Father, and that'll be fine. Just show us the invisible God, and we'll be okay. And Jesus responds to Philip, and he says, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And so here's the point. We rejoice at Christmas because the invisible God has made himself visible. All right, the invisible God has made himself visible. So why did God become man? To complete our joy, right? To complete our joy. Would you say that with me? To complete our joy. Now, some of you may be saying, well, that's great, but I've never seen him, and uh, I haven't either. And uh, that's true. And that's also the point of Advent, because at Advent, uh, we are being reminded that we are waiting for God uh, to draw near to us once again. That we are waiting for the day, for that great day, when we will no longer see uh, God through eyes of faith, but we will see God face to face. But until that day, as Christians, we believe the testimony of the apostles. And that's what the celebration of Christmas is. It is the celebration and the proclamation of the testimony that God has made known about himself to the apostles, and the apostles proclaim it to us, and we proclaim it to one another. Now, of course, at this time in history, we uh, only see him by faith, but we do trust the testimony of the apostles who did see him. And that's what John is telling us. Look at verse 1. Which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. Now in these verses, I think it's verses 2 and 3, I hope you hear the repetition over and over again. He's saying, that which God has made manifest, we are telling you about that which has been manifest. We saw him, we touched him, we heard him, and we now tell you about him. And unlike many of the other religions of the world, which are rooted in one man's testimony, what I want you to see here is that Christianity is rooted in verse 1, the we of the apostolic tradition. It is rooted in the we of the apostolic tradition, and that is why Jesus drew 12 to himself. In the same way that God had set apart the 12 tribes of Israel to bear witness to the God who had saved them from slavery, God draws near to him the 12 apostles to bear witness to Jesus, the one who has saved us from our sins. He also drew other disciples who followed them around and went around with the 12 to learn Jesus and to watch him and to see him. It's, it's why we're told that 500 people witnessed him after his resurrection one, in one day. And throughout the New Testament, if you read the New Testament closely, you'll see embedded in the New Testament in each of the Gospels names of people who had seen him, who'd interacted with him. And those names are there so that the original readers of the Bible, original readers of the Gospels, could go and visit them and investigate the claims of the testimony. And so what I want you to see here is that God, uh, the eternal God, has revealed himself in history and those to whom he revealed himself, those who witnessed him, began to proclaim him. And this is how we know things. Like, we know things through testimony, right? I mean, it's uh, 
most of us in this room believe that the Revolutionary War happened. Uh, None of us were in it. Uh, None of us saw it. None of us experienced it. But we've read about it. We took classes on it. We've seen artifacts from it. And we recognize that history was changed because of it. Uh, But we believe it based on the testimony of others. The same is true with the Peloponnesian Wars or Constantine or the Crusades. Uh, It's even how we know one another as people. Like, I know you as you reveal yourself to me. I know you as you give testimony about yourself. And I know you as other people bear testimony about you. We know one another through testimony. It's how our whole education system works. Somebody who has studied things and learned things bears testimony to what they've learned. And if we question that, if we don't fully understand it, we go and we investigate further and we look for more testimony. And so what John is saying is we, the apostles, are trustworthy witnesses because we saw him, we heard him, and we touched him. And now we tell you about him. And I think that this is kind of lovely because it tells us that God wants to be known not in an abstract way, but God really wants to be known in a personal way. And that God has entered into this world so that we would know him. And he reveals himself to the apostles. But he reveals himself to the apostles so that the apostles would tell others about him. And what this tells us is that God is a God who wants to be known. That Christianity was never sort of a, you know, a a private personal knowledge just for the special ones. That, that the revelation of God in this world was always meant to be a public truth. And so what as Christians we're claiming is that to understand God apart from Jesus is to actually misunderstand God. That's what we claim. Now some of you may be thinking, well, I wish I knew more about him. <laughs> I wish I saw him more clearly, and I do too. And I think this is important because Christians have never claimed to know everything about everything. And Christians have never claimed to know everything about God. What we claim as Christians is that we have received what God has revealed. And even the apostles realized this. I want you to think about Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul says this, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Now what I love about this passage is that Paul is being honest about the human plight. That we uh, see God truly, but we see him dimly. We see him truly, but we see him dimly. And this ought to produce a deep humility within us because... We do our best to receive and to respond to God's revelation. But we don't always see clearly. But one day we will. We don't always see clearly. We wish we could see more. And liturgically, the Advent season is this season where we look back and we see him. And we long to see more of him. And so we long for this day when God will come again, and when he comes, we shall know him fully. Uh, And we will see him not with the eyes of faith, which we see him now, but we will see him face to face. And here's one of the beautiful things that I think Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul also says, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. 
God knows you fully. That is your hope of salvation. That God fully knows you. That he fully longs for you. That he fully loves you. That he fully delights in you. You are known by him. And known fully by him. And one day we will fully know him just as he fully knows us. So why did God become man? He became man to make our joy complete. To make our joy complete. Would you say that with me? To make our joy complete. Now I've been hinting around at this the whole time, but I I, I want to sort of move towards clarity here. The reason that God reveals himself to us in Jesus is verse 4. So that our joy may be complete. God reveals himself to us so that we might rejoice in him. God reveals himself to us because he wants us to know him and delight in him and to be in relationship with him. I mean, think about it. uh, When you date somebody or when you were dating uh, the person that you love, you begin just to tell them everything about yourself. And so you, get, you go down to J.C. Holdway or you go down to Oliver Royale and you're sitting around the table and you start talking about yourself. <laughs> and you start telling them about Miss Perillo in third grade and you start talking about all your heartbreaks and you start talking about all your heart's delights. And why do you do that? You do that because you want to reveal yourself to the person so that they would know you, so that they would draw near to you, so that they could love you, so that they could enjoy you, so that they could comfort you. And and that's why God reveals himself to us, so that we would know him. Look at verse 3. So that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You see, God reveals himself to us in order to be in fellowship with us. He wants to be in relationship with us, and he wants us to know his love. He wants us to delight in him, and he wants us to walk in his way of love. But here's what's amazing. He says in verse 4, so that our joy may be complete. Now, one of the questions that all the exegetes ask is, who is the our? So some say the hour is the apostles. And so we, we say these things, we write these things so that our joy may be complete. And, uh, and that's really lovely. They, they want their joy to be complete and they want us, and that will happen as we know God with them. And so in the same way that a joke is more enjoyable when it's shared with others, uh, God is more fully enjoyed when we enjoy him together. And the apostles longed that we would rejoice with them in our creator, redeemer, and our friend. But it could also be the joy, uh, uh, the hour, is our, the reader. That they write these things for us so that our deepest joy would come in knowing God. In knowing that God isn't hiding from us. And knowing that the God that we are running from and hiding from is the God who actually comes and pursues us and makes himself known to us. That this God that we hide from is a God who wants to be in relationship with us and will never abandon us nor forsake us. That he wants us to rejoice in him as the one who has saved us from our sins. He wants us to rejoice in this God who has made a promise to return and to dry our tears and to heal all our wounds and to be the God who will restore all things to himself so that everything will be the way it was always supposed to be. But there's more in this hour in light of verse 3 because the fellowship is with us and with the Father and the Son. 
And the joy that is desired includes God's joy. God reveals himself in order to make our joy with him complete and his joy with us complete. The Father and the Son are included. God's joy is complete when we know him. You see, the reason that God makes himself known is because God is a God who loves to be known. That's who he is. And his love for us overflows to such an extent that he would step down from heaven into his creation to make himself known to us so that we'd know his care, so that we'd know his delight, so that we'd know his presence. And in doing this, he makes his joy complete when we know him. And again, that's the point of this table. I want you to think about the table with me for a second. Because at the table, we see the body and the blood of Jesus. Uh, here at this table, we see the one who was from the beginning is the one who took on flesh and blood and lived among us so that we could see him, so that we could hear him, so that we could taste him, so that we could smell him. And this is a God who came into this world to weep with us, to shed real tears, this is a God who came into this world to celebrate with us. It's a God who really laughed. A God who really delighted, or a God who really enjoyed being among his people. And it's through his body, through his tangible body, that he showed us what his love was like. He's not a God who just says, go in love. He's a God who entered the world in flesh and blood and loved us to show us what love is really like. And so what is God like? The author of Hebrews says this. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Why did Jesus go to the cross? For the joy that was set before him. And what was his joy? His joy is obedience to the Father, and his joy is our delight in him. That we would know him and that we would know his love. And so what he's saying to us today is come to the table and see me. Hold me. Taste me. Take the bread, hold it in your fingers. Take the blood, roll it around in your mouth. Smell it before you drink it. Taste and see that he is good. So why is it that God became man? To make our joy complete. To make our joy complete. Would you say that with me one last time? To make, make our, our joy, joy complete. complete.